Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favor to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialing a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different. And for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Gerard will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A-license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Yeah, so creating games within games. Tell me but tell me your thoughts, man. Obviously, you know, this one's come, this one's come more from yourself on this. Eager to see where, where your minds are on this one. Yeah, so I just think... You know, a huge adver- a huge uh, opportunity for players, you know, developing creativity, developing problem solving, a good advantage for coaches is when we can utilise games, right? We talked about that a lot where we're creating games, small-sided games, playful activities, because the power of play is really, really powerful because it, it's allowing players to be imaginative, solve problems, be creative. But then I, to go one step further is creating little mini games within the game. And I think where my head went with that is that, you know, there's different ways. It could be in a practice setting. It could be during a match. You know, during a match, you might be working with a certain team where they're not the best players. They might even be struggling in the game. But we shouldn't necessarily always use the result as the determining factor for learning or performance. Even though, yes, you know, the object of the game is score more goals than the opposition and we want to win, that's 100%. Um, but I think, you know, an advantage could be that, you know, the game could be, yes, we might be losing 3-0 or whatever the score is, even if it's winning. But it could be that, Yaz, your game today is how many times can you find a pass to play forward or connect with a friend? And every time you do that, that's an extra point. Or every time we break a line and we get into the opponent's half, that's a point. Or how many times we can find ways to dribble our way out of trouble. Um, and those might create little wins within the game, which can help, especially if you're working with certain players of a certain level, because it can sometimes take away from the result in a good way. You know, like parents might be so fixated on the result. Oh, we lost 3-0. But actually, it's, whoa, but how great was this? You know, the U9. But look at the 
the achievements that have been achieved. You know, you've got these players. You can even do this in an academy setting. You know, you've got these players that are getting the ball and they're running with it and they're finding ways to dribble out of trouble. You know, and that was a focus for us today. We wanted to encourage that. So that's a win. Yes, we, we conceded goals from whatever, but there was a lot of times where when we got the ball, we were finding ways to go forward. So there's like one example. Another example might be creating a game within the game where you're playing a, a small sided game in a training session or a, a possession activity, but there's certain little challenges or certain little uh, rules or even just certain areas like practice designs where there's like multiple games within the game. And that could be, you know, without going too long and giving too much information at once, it, it could be little duels between certain players one-on-one. It could be... Um, it could be where you've got like a little mini pitch and there's a pitch within the pitch, for example, you know, and, and then if we score on one end, we end up going into this other pitch. So there's multiple games within that one activity. I mean, there's a million ways we can do it. I'd love to unpack this over the the course of the, the Twitter space, really. But yeah, intricate your thoughts. I mean, I just think it's so powerful that if we can capture their imagination and we can tap into their curiosity, it comes back to those three eyes I always talk about, like... Um, we always inform, but how well can we inspire and involve? I just think that's really cool. So if we can keep little games within the game, it's another way of just capturing the player's imagination. But yeah, what's your thoughts, Yaz? Yeah, I'm just thinking out loud as you're talking and I'm thinking to myself, games within games, I get it. You're trying to keep it competitive, make sure the players have got incentives. And um, is quite, I think a thought I had earlier this afternoon, actually, I was thinking about something else and, talking about the idea of competition for players and um, the need for a winning mentality. and I just wonder whether the, the games within games, um, although we're trying to get outcomes there, is there an argument to say that maybe it takes away from the winning overall? I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that because I think it's that piece around A, does it really mean anything to them if we're creating games within games? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, or should we be spending more time focused on how to how to create a uh, a more deliberate focus around the actual game itself? I think there's a couple of ways to look at this, isn't there? Because Everything ultimately is subjectively subjectively meaningful to you, isn't it? Like everything, every interaction. So for me to feel that something's relevant or meaningful or advantageous to me, there is that subjectivity within that. So I think part of the coach on everything we do, whatever, whatever activity, whatever challenge, we're always selling something, aren't we? Because we're trying to get that buying from the players. And I think it's how you do it because it shouldn't be seen as a distraction from, you know, the game itself is a lot, but it's another way of, you know, and I've, I've done this with pros and I've done this with, you know, players in the academy game. I've done this really well with players at the grassroots level. I think it's just another way of um, offering variability, offering difference and just challenging players, you know, because the, the, the games that we create are challenging, can be challenging enough. But for some, we need to challenge them more. You know, one example could be 
um, you know, if we it always comes back to that question I use a lot, which is the quality of your questions represents the quality of your values, right? So in our club, one of the things I've, I've talked to the coaches about is our non-negotiables. We want players that have got those traits where when they lose the ball, they've got that instant determination to go win it back, right? They're going to hustle. That, those light switch moments are to attack and defend in transition, exploit people, dominate 1v1. I've put an emphasis on the 1v1 duel and even just 1v2, dealing underloaded, like being able to outplay people, the, the ability to handle the ball, master the ball, outthink people on the ball and off the ball, like those, those little individual tactics, that's something that we've spoke a lot about. So because of that, we obviously, I've, I've sort of put on to the coaches, well, how can we design activities or environments what amplify those behaviours that we want, those player actions? So one example could be, and Pete Sturgis did a great example of this, if you want to see it on the FA, it's brilliant, is a small-sided game. I just modified it a little bit, but a small-sided game can be any numbers you want, 5v5, 4v4, whatever. It depends on what your, your squad size is and what you're trying to get out. We're playing a small-sided game, and every time our team scores, so Blues v Reds, when the Blues score, um, even before that, you match the players up with a direct opponent. So I'm against you, Yas, Tony's against Byron, and so forth. So you've got those duels. So if our player scores, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't have to be your exact opponent. Um, when you score, you instantly run off the pitch and get a ball. So because the Blues have scored first, all the Blues are going to get the ball for the side of the pitch. They're going to get on the ball and they're going to stay on that ball. Wait for the coach to blow the whistle. And we did this the other day. Kids loved it. And it was just another way of creating competition. I'll explain why. So then the players have instantly got into their duel. I've not had to manage it. I've not had to say, hey, 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 get this. Or remember, you're with him or whatever. You explain it in the beginning. You do a walkthrough. And then the players get it instantly. And then it's on them for ownership. They've immediately got set up, and the rule is you must keep your ball for 15 seconds after I blow the whistle. Once I blow the whistle again, or once this is stopped, that's it, it's done. If every member on your team still has their soccer ball by the end of the 15 seconds, the goal stands. If they don't, put the balls back, go back to kickoff, it's still 0 0. So, can you imagine, guys? Like, just imagine how cool is that? So, we score, right, okay, get on the balls, boom, boom, boom. Stay on the ball, and it doesn't have to be 15 seconds. It depends, you know, the intensity level you're going after, the challenge, the, you know, age group you're working with. Could be five seconds, could be 20 seconds. Like it could be whatever you want. We did 15, and what happened is I've lost the ball to Yaz. I'm going to try and win it back. Yaz is running away and keeping on the ball and shielding and screening and holding on to the ball. So again, those are qualities. Those are behaviours or techniques, whatever you want to call it, that we want. We want players to be able to screen, hold, protect, manipulate the ball. So, dominate 1v1. So, they're doing that. I might be able to nick it back off you, Yaz, by which time Byron's nicked it off Tony and so forth. By the end of it, three out of us have got our ball, but one hasn't. The goal doesn't stand. And for the kids, it's like, oh, and then they put the ball back and then they go again. And then if blue score, okay, does the goal stand? You know, so that's just one example. I've got a 1,000. Of and it'd be interesting to see what examples you know other people have got or done or could think of, but that's just one example of creating a game within the game. So it's another way of adding an extra layer to the competition, but the coach is skillfully designing a challenge that is another way of creating repetition of a 
a certain principle or a certain action that you want to go after. Because you might not always get those repetitions within a training session, if, if that makes sense. Because you, if you're playing a, a small-sided game, obviously the lower the number, the more touches on the ball, naturally. But still, you might not be getting those direct duels or direct whatever, depending on what your focus is. So it's just another way of coaches skillfully masking in or interleaving in um, another activity within the bigger activity. You know, another example could be, uh, you know, if you really value passes forward and dealing with uh, underloads and overloads, what you could do is you could create a game where it's a bit like uh, knots and crosses, if you like, or, or like connect four, if you like, right? And you've got that on the side of the pitch. So every time I play a, foot, a forward pass and it breaks a line, it leads to a goal. I'm the assister, so I'm Kevin De Bruyne. I'm running off the pitch and I'm picking up a bib and putting it in the in the box to connect four. And then, but obviously, while that's going on, there's players who are obviously there's an underload and an overload on the field. So the team has to deal with that challenge until I get back. You know, so but then it can make it interesting because as you're running off, there's the other tactics and strategy of well, oh, God, Yaz has connected three there. I've got to put the bib here. Do you know what I mean? In that box, to stop them connecting. And if they connect all, they get a goal. You know, or another example without over overgoing is, so I'm give, I've given two there. Third example could be bingo. I don't know if you've ever done this, Yaz. Let me know. but Or anyone on the call, feel free to unmute, you know, where you do a bit like bingo, you know, and you've got to connect them. You could almost have like a sheet where, again, it comes back to what you value. So it could be one-touch finishes. It could be scoring with a volley, it could be um, intercepting every second ball or, you know, preventing the ball from bouncing or whatever. If your team achieves whatever that X is, whatever you want it to be, they mark that off the sheet. Once they achieve all, bingo, first team to do all four wins, you know? So you're creating a game, a strategy game, within that bigger game, that activity, if it's a 5v5 or a 5v3 or a 4v4 plus 4, it, it, there's so many ways that you can do it. I actually think it doesn't distract. I think, if anything, it adds more layers to the to the repertoire of the player. But again, it'd be interested. You know, I've given three examples there. You know, what are your thoughts there, Yaz, or even anyone in the room listening? Yeah, I think I think it's good. I think what you what you're looking at really, you know, is just how do we maximise the individual outcomes, right, through different different means and, you know, using the kind of games as incentives, if you like, and little competitions between one another to make it happen. Um, and I guess it's interesting because we're working with a group of coaches at the moment and um, they're about to go into their pre-season and their first block of work is going to be four weeks of out-of-possession work across their age groups, just across the whole club. Mm. And... I think interestingly enough, I think one of the I think parents are probably going to start thinking, well, when are they, you know, what what about the people who are seen as quote unquote attacking players? And it's like, well, regardless of what phase you're working in, if you're, if they're doing it well, the opposition is going to get benefits from it anyway. But actually, you're talking about some of the things that you've just mentioned there, and using little games like that could be the way that we actually tie those players in the opposite end of the spectrum into the process and really get much more of a buy-in from them without them feeling like oh this is about me so I think there is definitely benefits to having those games in there but being clever and tactful about how do these games actually support what it is you're trying to get out from the overall group and potentially how do they maybe link in 
to the individual player's development and the outcomes that you might want to get for them as an individual. So I think there's definitely benefits to it. I think it's just it's just look, you know, it's just being like very clever, I guess, isn't it? And recognizing what does a player need, what what might be a game that actually fits in and supports the outcomes of their overall session. Um is it a one off thing? Is it something that you re- revisit on a regular basis? Who do you pair together within those games or who do you group together within those smaller games? Is it a game for everyone within the game or are the individual pieces within it? Where, as an example, you gave the idea of bingo, but actually there could be a leaderboard. Everyone's got a target based on their own position, their own individual development plan. And every time they hit that target, it gets them three points. Doesn't matter what, what like for instance, for you, you might be a centre-back and, and your target is to try and get more intercepts. Every time you intercept it, it's worth three to you or it's worth whatever. Whereas I might be a centre forward and for me it's every time I can I can place it into the side net and that's worth three to me. So the the, the point scoring system is so individualised and bespoke for the person who is in whatever position but aligned to their individual development plan. And then there's like a leaderboard at the end, at the end of it which kind of... Um, so I'm just thinking out loud now as you were speaking and thinking about how, you know, how else could you do this? Um... But no, certainly, I think there's definitely different ways. I guess my question for you is this. In that process, you know, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this thinking, yeah, that's all well and good, but I'm a coach that works by myself. How am I going to manage all of this? How am I going to keep account of it? Should I really keep account of it? I mean, personally, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I tell players all the time I'm going to do little games. There's going to be points here, points there. I never actually keep count myself, but I should, really. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's something that we should all be better at because we often say we're going to, and I've done this, it's only now I'm holding myself more accountable um, because like, I had a self-reflection moment years ago where I'd been out of the pro game and then I'd, I'd, I'd gone back into the pro game and this was several years ago and I basically was running a session and I was on about the points and the scoreline. I wasn't keeping track, but the players were but they got annoyed at me that I didn't know what the score was. Do you know what I mean? And they were biting back at me. And I just thought, wow, you know, and if we talk about winning mentality or we talk about certain behaviours, it is important. So, you know, even at the grassroots level, I think there's no harm with having a notepad or writing on the back of your session plan or whatever and just tracking that, you know, whether it's 3 no, whatever. But also put a lot of ownership onto the... So the first thing is you've hit the nail on the head is that it is important because we should be. Because we keep scoring a game, you know. I, w- I would ask, I would have a problem if I asked the coach at the end of the game, "Oh, what was the score?" And he didn't know, or he didn't know what the score was at half time. I think that's a problem. So we should be doing that in training sessions, and it also gets players to think about that as well, because that is a factor that influences decision making. You know, if we're really preparing them for the game, that is a factor, isn't it? You want to look at half time, or you two 0 down, or you two one, or whatever. How can you go in and, and change that in the second half? You know, win the second half or whatever it may be. Um, I would say put as much as you can on the players. If anything, it's almost like lazy teaching, but it's it's clever teaching because we the players will take note of things and you can assign them leadership opportunities. So one of the players, he might be the note taker. It's his responsibility to remember the score for everyone whilst he's doing his own game. And the kids all know anyway. And some might say, oh, no, no, it's not. It's 2-1. Well, there's a dispute. Okay, how do we settle this? You know, and again, it creates a coaching opportunity. Or it might be, could you create rules? So talking about games within games, Yaz, 
could it be that the kids know they can cheat at any point or they can do a challenge or they can do a contest. So it might be VAR. So the referee is the coach or the parent or whoever. And then you just, whoever it could be, and then they all go, VAR, I want to call VAR. Okay, let's look at it. VAR says no goal. And it's like, come on, you know? But that's another way of creating a fun game within the game, but it also t- attaches them to the real game, right? So there's, there's different ways that you can do it. And I think, you know, for any coach, if it's like, I'm on my own, how do I track all this? Don't go from one extreme to the next. I saw this done really um, poorly in uh, one of the academies I used to work in years ago in the UK where the coach was trying everything. He had cards going on. He had the leaderboard thing on the side of the pitch. He had some other stuff. And then it was the game itself. And the kids had a blast, but they probably wouldn't have been able to tell you what the hell was going on. And I couldn't keep track of it. I didn't know what was going on. So to me, that was too much. And even he struggled. And it was more through enthusiasm where he was trying to do so much. But it ended up like, what is the purpose of we doing it? You know, don't just do it for the sake of doing it. It's got to have meaning. So try and focus on one thing and do that right. Um, but I think, to answer your question, put more back on the players. So it could be that the players are the ones who are managing that leaderboard. They're the ones that are managing the, the tic-tac-toe. They're the ones that are managing, you know, the, the time. So, you know, players might have a watch or they could, or you could give them a stopwatch or something. And they're the time plays, you know. Players can control the pauses. I've done that loads of times. One of my funnest sessions I've ever done, and I still remember it now, was in New York. I was running a development centre, and I basically did this thing around players doing the intervention. And they controlled the stoppage. And it allowed me to think of clever ways to, to manage it better. Yeah, so you know where we always stop the freeze, right? We always go, stop. Well, I said to the players, they can choose when to stop it. So if they make a mistake and they want to have another go and a redo, they can do it. And what was funny was on one of them, <laughs> as you can imagine, they did it on a counter-attack. They've given the ball away, should have gone to another player. They've gone through and they're like, hey, I want to bring that back. Of course they do, you know. But what I said was, unless it's of benefit to the whole group, you'll actually lose a goal. and You'll lose a goal and they'll gain a goal. So you've got to pick when you do it. But if it's of benefit to the whole group and you can go, okay, here, but then you're coaching each other, I'll give your team an extra point as well. So they were careful about when they did the pause. But it was also like, it took a while before someone shouted. And what was interesting, it was a little uh, little girl. I was doing this co-ed session. And it was actually a girl out of all the players, not even the boys, who was like, I want to do a pause. I nearly missed it. And we went back to it and she started the trigger events. And then every then players were getting more confident at trying it. And I just think there's like one example, but you, there's so many ways you can do it. And it, it's almost like that flipped classroom approach, isn't it, Yaz, where you, you're just giving them more ownership. And actually, we don't have to track everything. We can only track a little minimal stuff. And, and it allows us time to more facilitate and just make sure the organisation is right, which I think is a good role for the coach anyway. You know, being an organizer, organizer, and a, and an observer. But again, what's your thoughts? And even anyone in the room, you know, you got questions on it or they've done it maybe differently. I'd be interested. Well, no, I think again, my mind just goes towards how do we utilize it to kind of uh, build on wider outcomes. And something that you kind of touched on there was them understanding when potentially 
or them understanding the idea of sensing danger and being tactful about how they um how they break the game up. So obviously you've given them that 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 condition or that constraint that they can play around with. But fundamentally the rules are there and they've chosen to bend them in their favour. And that's what I'm looking at. I'm thinking that that's probably a real positive for me. How how well are we teaching players how to bend the rules in their favour rather than just play to the rules? And I think this is a really key piece, right? Because you know, especially when you start to go up the up the ladder and to the elite end of the game, if you like, these are these are the one percents that are going to make a difference to the players who end up going to make it and players who are you know become very, like I said, very in tune with what's going on within the game, recognizing when to make decisions around possibly even fouls and you know where who 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 to target and when to target or what when might when might danger occur and i think these are the little things that we want players to start picking up on so i think using games constraints and different types of conditions on your practices and games to try and draw up on those things and i think the key one of the key things i would always say as well is that if there is a situation like the one you've just described if it's going to go on counter to actually I would praise that and making sure that you praise it so that players understand there is a benefit to that. And yes, the other players might get frustrated at the fact that it's happened in that moment, but actually that's exactly it. That's a, that's a learning moment. That's a teaching moment. So I think there's, there's a lot in there really. And I think, I, I, you know, I'm just thinking now, so that was really from a perspective of working as an individual coach. Obviously, the easier answer would be, you know, if when you're working alongside someone, it's probably going to be a lot easier to manage the situation. I'm just thinking now, those games within the game, what if you are working with someone and your perception of what the game is actually bringing out is different to the individual you're working with? You know, how how do you go around dealing with that and, you know, coming to an agreement on what might be best in terms of those mini games within it, if that makes sense? Well, that's what I think the, the co-design piece is key, isn't it? Because you've got to almost, you should really be planning the session before, right? So there's got to be an agreement, even if, you know, we're in an ideal world. Ideally, you're doing this way before, even if it's as they're in the arrival activity or right before, as long as there's some agreement of, hey, what are we going after tonight? You know, I, I had to cover a session the other day that was, it happens, doesn't it? It was unplanned. And I was working with the with the 19s, but I loved it. I just said to the coach, you know, um, what's the key message we're wanting to focus on tonight? Ah, oh, we're going to go on how many times we can recognise moments to intercept the ball. So how can we intercept them and break out from that for a regain? Because we keep giving the ball away on the first pass. Okay, so we're not securing the pass. Okay, so that's the principle. I want you to track how many times players noticed and what's like the art of noticing, if you like. Can they notice playing in the future that? slow pass or that pass that I can intercept or nick or whatever and then do the act upon it um, I'm going to go after this and basically you just divvy it up um, I think you know it's whether it's one person's working on the overall team and he's working on managing the transition times and the organisation of each activity and the other focuses on individuals and I'm working on I'm basically running the practice or whether it's I've got a certain individual and he's got a certain individual um it's just making sure you're aligned. But even if you're not aligned and they want to try stuff, you know, what a great way of, you know, we talk about coaching moments for players. It's coaching moments for coaches, isn't it, as well, where you can reflect better in action or or if you don't tweak it live, because you might go, do you know what, this, is, this isn't this is working. How can we do this differently? You know, you could do that 
um, after and or even during and, and ask the players, you know, involve the players on those challenged questions. You know, how can we make this more difficult for you? What could we do? You know, one of the best games within a game I, I end up creating came from an idea from the coach, uh, from the players. There was two of us coaching and uh, we created this target game. It was just a basic target game. And it was, uh, it was all, I think it was like a 2v2 or 3v3 in the middle with target players directional at each end, opposite. Um, and anyway, the, the players ended up saying, well, can we add a goal in here? I was like, add a goal, okay. What what's the focus? Why? Anyway, long story short, they end up adding goals, but instead of putting them at the opposite ends, which you normally would do, they put them in the middle, back to back. And you could use a target player behind you as a support player to bounce off as well as receive and also play the opposite end. But you've got to find ways to connect and combine to score in either of the goals, but you've got to connect and combine uh, directionally from either end before you can score in any of the, the goals in the middle. And the possession, obviously, repetitions went through the roof, but also the problems and the challenges. Because once you're in one area of the field, you to cleverly work how you're going to get the whip to, you know, play around pressure to get it in one of the goals, you know, for a little combination up back and through or whatever it may be. And then, you know, another game that I did, I remember working at Bristol and it was, um, you know, players coming up with the rule of the number of passes you make equals the number of goals you score. And then a kid actually, and that came from a player, and the kid said, oh, can we have that only in the opponent's half, though? So any passes we make in our own half don't count. So now you can imagine that there's a game focus anyway, but then we've created an actual layer to it where it's, you know, we only want to count the passes that are actually gaining territory. That's awesome. And that came from a player. So I think there's, there's a couple of ways, Yas, where we can constantly learn with this. And it comes back to that co-design piece and that involve, inspire piece. You know, by by involving the players, we're getting the ideas from them. Yeah, I think I think it's brilliant as well. And I think the key thing is, was you know, we can't move away from teaching them what the game is actually requiring. And I think that's the good piece. You know, that obviously they've come up with their strategy that they can we apply this in the opposition half. I mean, obviously there's different perceptions as to what what that could look like and how that should look like. But fundamentally, I think whatever it is that we're doing. How is it linking into what they're actually then able to, what they're, what's then required of them in the actual game itself? Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So I think that's I think that's a brilliant way to look at it. And I think just it's probably just a challenge for coaches more than anything else, just to think about, well, if I'm gonna put a constraint, if I'm gonna put some sort of element of competition or you know, in this case, put, create a game within my games, then how do I do that in a way where it doesn't take them away from what's required from them within the game and actually supports that? And potentially, like you said, 
adds another layer of thought to it. So I think that bit's really key. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what, ev- what anyone else's thoughts are, you know, in terms of how they've gone about doing this type of stuff within their environments, whether they've used games within games in that respect, what type of constraints work really well for you guys. I mean, certainly for me, one of the one of my favourite ones, I wouldn't really consider it a game, but one of the one of the things I like to bring into my practice whenever I'm playing a small-sided game in particular is if your team scores, you get the ball back. Um, and that before oh, the opposite, to reward that behaviour. To reward Yeah, to, to exactly, reward yeah. Behavior. But also, right. um, also building on that, it's... When we, you know, as soon as as soon as it goes back to your goalkeeper from scoring, you need to have everyone in your half. Yeah. Before the goalkeeper can play out, play it out. So it's just that that piece around the intensity around, around transition and getting back in shape as early as possible to build out again. <clears throat> I think just it just sets it just sets the tone really with some of the players around. Right, we can't just be caught watching the game actually we, you know, we're constantly engaging in it so you know we're always we're always involved in every aspect of it so that's probably one of our favorite ones but it's just there you know there is there is no right or wrong and i think that's the beauty of this thing called coaching right you know we've all got different ways of doing it i think fundamentally i'll be doing it for the right way or way that works for the players that we're working with yeah i'd be interested to hear you know from other people tony whoever byron you know, you guys, you've got some so many different experiences. You know, uh, Giannis has just popped in. Anyone who wants to jump in, you know, feel free. It'd be it'd be great to to hear your thoughts because you know how you guys are doing it and what your thoughts are is key. Um, just while we're waiting for someone to, to unmute and either ask a question or, or share their thoughts, um, I see Tony's coming in now, which is great. Um, I would, you know, one of the things I was thinking of there is. It's not just the football that we're developing here, is it? You know, because it's, yes, we're working on football. I've given you and me both have given a couple of examples of games within games where there's like a tactical or a technical focus, if you like, um, or in some case it could be physical. But what we're probably not talking about as much is the social side of it, which is equally as important. Because if we're asking players for their ideas or they're coming up and speaking, oh, why don't we try this? You're developing their communication skills, their leadership skills, their confidence skills, presenting skills, strategizing skills. So there's there's the other side of the game that's equally advantageous that just by creating little games within games, we're, we're developing future leaders in other ways. I think that's a, another added bonus to this. Brilliant. Tony, how's it going? Good evening. Yeah. All good here, thanks. Um, good to see uh, the Twitter spaces uh, continuing. Um, just a, a couple of points, really, uh, and it was it was what Yaz was just saying about um, about getting players back into your own half. That's talking about games within games. Uh, as we know, I like to to I, I try and get as much game related play as possible. So. Two of the things that I would use would be that one where if if we score, um, we keep the ball, but we start it. But it comes from our goalkeeper. So if we've built if we've built into a goal, we're going to get a chance to try and build into another goal from the opposite end of the pitch. I know that's not a hundred percent realistic, um, but I do. I also like to um, give the team. So we, uh, I shoot. Keeper saves it, goes behind for a corner, rather than take a corner. Particularly when we're working in smaller areas, 
we get the reward for that by keeping possession again, probably from our goalkeeper or maybe have a ball on the halfway line. So that'd be one way of doing it. Uh, you were talking, Gerard, earlier on about the. Uh, you can tell that you've been over in America for a while now. You bloody tic tac toe and noughts and crosses and uh, and and football bingo, where you might have uh, a goal from a volley, a goal from a header, a scruffy goal, um, an improvised goal, a first time strike, a goal off a dribble, those kind of things where you put the board up at the side. Uh, and if one of those goals is scored, the person that scored it goes off the pitch to, to tick it off, therefore creating a numbers-up scenario for the opposite team. Do they recognise it? Can they exploit it? Is that something, actually, that, that you would then maybe want to talk about with them? Um, so there are lots of kind of... I guess most coaches probably create some form of mini-game within a game anyway, um, one of the ones well, I've talked about this before, I think, where if I've got an attacking focus that week, um, I don't want defenders just kicking a ball away because I'm focusing on the, the strikers. So the, the, the mini game within the game, if you like, for them would be can the defenders or the defending team drive out to a, to a scoring zone or mini goals on the halfway line, can they get it out to the mini goal and play it into a mini goal? So even something as, as simple as that it is that game within a game. The focus is on something else, but rather than just say, well, the defenders, all you've got to do is defend, stop it going into your goal. Can they do something a little bit more creative than that? Um, and I think that that's, we do, and I, I know that I have in the past lost focus of that. And I, I do see that sometimes with uh, with Yaz's pet hate rondos, where the guys in the middle will just intercept and boot the ball out because they know they're coming out of the middle. Whereas you could give them a little challenge of, right, so if you intercept the ball in the middle, you, you, you've got to drive out of the circle or the square or whatever shape you're playing in. Um, in order to to get out of the middle, so that there's something a little bit more, which, which also throws in a little bit of counter pressing if you're the player that gave the ball away. So that kind of thing would be like the games within the games for me. Um, the other thing, which again, this might be my pet peeve now, Gerard, when you spoke about uh, uh, facilitating, being a facilitator, it's so, uh, I hate that term. I really hate that term. I've spent a lot of money. Over, I haven't. That's a lie, actually. The Army spent a lot of money over the years getting me qualified to become a a quite high-level coach. And I don't want to be a facilitator. I want to be able to, to coach and improve players. I don't just want to put on practice sessions. That's just a little pet peeve. What would you call it differently? No, because I know what you mean. And I know you know what I mean. But it's actually a good point because... All this, it's, I think sometimes some coaches go from one extreme to the next, don't they? Where they're almost stand up back and actually you need to be in there more and giving more instruction. Um, you know, what would you call it? If it's not a facilitator, what would you what would you call it? Would it be as simple as a coach yeah, or would it be yeah. something else? No, 100% for me, it, it's, it's a coach. Particularly if you're a paid coach, you know, it is really easy to stand inside the cage or the you know the, the 3G pitch lean against the fence chuck them a ball and, and, and crack on um, 
but particularly if you're being if you're being paid for your role, then th- there's got to be more to it than that. You have uh, you don't have to. You, you you as a coach have got to be experienced enough to recognise when your input is needed, um, and then don't be afraid to do it. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess that you know I don't want to be. There might be a time to to chuck them a ball and step back, but more often than not, I think that you're there because they need you there. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've got your hand up as well. I think it's it's just that fine balance, isn't it? Because there'll be parents who see the, the coach who's overly in and they think that's good coaching. Or even some uh, academy managers or whatever, they might think the ones who are constantly in, that's good coaching. There'll be the ones who think, oh, you've got to be out and let the... You know, it comes out to that old phrase that was used years ago, which was like, let the game be the teacher. I know we've unraveled that a bit. I think it's a balance. I like the way you word it, where there's got to be a moment where you can, they need you. But also, it's it's also that balance of, I'm sure you'd agree, Tony, it's like less is more and they don't always, like, they can actually figure stuff out on their own. You know, so it's how do you become a skillful designer of that environment to, to allow them to problem solve? Because it's... It's just a tough balance, isn't it, Tony? You know what I mean? But it's 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 just yeah, I think that's just the best way, really. Pile in, Yaz. Yeah, and I'll just think about what you said there, Todd. I think you're spot on in, in that we need to make sure that as coaches we recognise when they need us. But this is the, I think this is the biggest challenge right at the moment, is we might be good at recognising they need us, but how many of us actually have the information at hand around how to help them and how many of us if we don't have the information are vulnerable enough to say actually you know what I ain't got the answer to that but there's something there's something going on here if that makes sense and I think that piece is really key because I'm with you you need, you need to make sure you're coaching but um, linking into what Gerard said there as well and around the perception of what coaching actually looks like you know I've, I've actually had situations where you know people would maybe sometimes describe my coaching style as quite passive in that I'd spend a lot more time observing ask a lot of questions as you can probably tell <laughs> from from these spaces. Um, but if I need to tell a player to do something or, you know, if I see something that a player needs immediate intervention on, then I'll give it to them. But, but I think I can go down the other end of the spectrum and be a lot more passive because I feel confident enough in that if that situation does arise, I can tackle it. Whereas I think some coaches might hide behind that potentially. Some coaches might look at... Um, Look at delivering the information and only coach what they what they know and what's comfortable to them rather than what the players actually need in that moment. And then if a player ever questions it, it might actually get thrown back at them in a way where it's just do what I've said sort of thing. Joe, go and put your hand you put your hand up there, go for it. No, I just think because there's something you said there, it just made me re remember what, what Tony said a minute ago about we've spent a lot of money on our education, if you like. I know you say the army, we, but it's the point, isn't it? We've, we've invested in ourselves with the licensing. So it's that balance of, um, you know, we do have something to say, but then equally, how much knowledge do we have? I like your piece around the vulnerability because we might have invested ourselves in, you know, level of training. Some don't even have licenses. Some will have only the C license or whatever. Other might have invested hours and hours on, Things like this, podcasts, research, articles online, whatever it may be, and they're pretty clued up. But then it's, you know, what areas do we not have as much competence in or strength in? I thought that was quite fascinating for you because it's, uh, 
to me, that's an area that I'm still wrestling with myself. And are we even aware of it? You know, and then at what point, how do you get better at it? And are we ever coaching areas that aren't our strength? So you just gave me a challenge now, which is, you know, we talk about challenges for players, but that could almost be a game within the game for the play, for the for the coach. So he's running that activity, but his challenge for tonight is coach an area of the game that's not your strength. And for most, it might be defending, or for others, it might be physical load, or it might be whatever. Um, so that's where. Sorry, as it just it created a little idea in my head that I'm going to try. Yeah, you know, I think that it's a lot of it does depend on on how well you know yourself as a coach and and how confident you are in in being able to to step in and and do, you know say what's needed rather than what's wanted sometimes people need to hear certain things they might not want to hear them um so you've got a you know the more experienced coach i guess will will find that a little bit easier but i'm going to i'm going to bring up a phrase that i, I used few months ago now on, on one of the earlier um, Twitter spaces and it ties in with what Yaz was just saying and his his style of coaching if you like which I must admit as I've got older and moved through the academy system over here I've become much less of an interfering coach you know I, I, I know now when to just let it roll the, and, and the phrase and, and, and It'll come to me later when I remember who said it. It's the art of skillful neglect. You don't have to coach every single mistake you see. Tony, you know what I think is really good about what you've said there as well is that I think there's one thing coaching every mistake that you see because you think it needs to be worked or you think it could be better. But how much of it is you knowing your players and understanding actually that's just a lapse in concentration more than a mistake itself, if that makes sense. It's Or this is a repetitive, consistent lack of execution in technique or decision-making. And I think that that's the piece. And then I think the difference, you know, in between supporting players and coaching the decision as well as supporting players and coaching the technical aspect of it. And interestingly enough, and I think I've mentioned this before, <laughs> I was having a conversation with a couple of coaches just recently in the last few days around technique and what, te- what good technique is. And I, I mentioned before that I think we need to go down the idea of looking at what's objective within technique and what's subjective within technique. You know, fundamentally, it's, it's just physics, right? If I hit, hit the ball through the back of the ball, it's going to move forward. If I know that's the part of the ball I need to hit, it doesn't actually matter what part of the foot I use. Yes, of course, there is benefits, pros and cons to different parts of the foot. But fundamentally, if I don't hit that part of the ball, it is not moving in the direction I need it to. So we need to start with that. And then I think the piece beyond that is also recognising, yes, although we don't want to coach technique, there is some things that just work. Universally, they just work. So as an example of that, you know, if you're teaching a player... um, you know, he's at a foot race on the ball and he's trying to he's trying to get ahead of the defender. Well, you're gonna teach him to cut across the defender's run, break up the break up the uh, the stride pattern of the opposition by you know, cutting across their path. It just works. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's recognizing what works and what's subjective and then having a good understanding of 
where those things fit in within the game, but also fundamentally understanding the game itself. You know, I was I was I had a again another conversation with the coach just um, on Friday, I think it was, where we were just talking about the game and how the game is how the like there's only so many things that are going to happen within the game. No, one, no one's reinventing the game. The game is just what it is. And we've mentioned it before in past conversations where you have those moments where you might be in the middle of an intervention. I'm I'm telling Gerard something and because I've, because I've intervened on Gerard and what he's doing, it might have meant that he's moving a couple yards to the right. You've observed that as a player who's on the opposition side and you've started responding to where Gerard's moved to before anyone's even said anything to you. And there's a reason why you do this because you're looking at it and saying, well, th- that, that's the game. You're going to move to where you need to go to based on what you see in front of you. And then just to wrap that up, really, what I'm saying is, you know, is, I think it's Bruce Lee that came up with the quote, um, or it's linked to Bruce Lee, at least in that sense. He says, There's, there is no technique other than the technique that requires, um, that, is, that is in response to what I see. So he says, my technique is a response to your technique. So whatever it is that you apply, whatever it is that you put in front of him is what he's going to respond to with. And that's the game. That's what we should be teaching the players to understand. There is no set techniques, but there is certain things that you might do in response to certain things you might see. And there are some typical things that come off the back of that, right? Um, so, yeah, as Bruce Lee would say, flow like water and be, with, be, be at one with the game. Yes, I noticed a tweet from, uh, I'm not sure your name, mate, Zoe Glug, but uh, really interesting how, you know, you've talked about your experience of doing games, doing games. I don't know if you want to share that in more detail. You know, feel free to, to unmute and, and come in. And equally, while we're waiting for that, you know, if there's anyone else, any questions that you've got based on some of the things said, you know, we're really interested to, to get that interaction from people. I find it fascinating. Um I was just thinking just then of not to try and reinvent the wheel. Just, you know what I'm like, I'm big on semantics and I really like that choice of word around skillful neglect, um, or at least the concept. But I was thinking neglect by definition means to fail, failing to, to do something, right? Should it be, could it be almost like skillful disregard because you, you're purposely ignoring or you're purposely not paying attention to because you're basically prioritising that for another day, aren't you? Which is a good task to have in that. I think coaches, we always want to coach, don't we? Or we always want to, through enthusiasm, offer feedback. But actually that balance of going, you know what, I'll park that for another day. I think that's pretty cool. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Tony. I've just reworded yeah, it slightly. Yeah. Again, it it wasn't it, uh, it wasn't my quote. I, I, I heard it on a course somewhere Um but it, it just resonated with me, the fact that it's neglect and, and neglect, if you like, has got sort of negative connotations. But it, it is, it's, it's what we're doing. Neglecting is, is ignoring something. We're ignoring, I'm choosing to ignore that particular mistake. I might just fly by and, and drop it in his ear, but I'm not going to stop the practice. It's, you know, it's not something that's relevant to, to the 16 players at my session. Um, and it's nothing at all to do with the focus of what I want to get through tonight because I can I choose to ignore that bit because it doesn't it it doesn't impact what I am trying to get out of out of the practice. No, I love it. 
Anything else from anyone or Yaz? Yeah, just a final point for me, Joe. I think just looking at, you know, if we go back to the topic of the conversation tonight, you know, just just for coaches to really think, right? You know, again, why am I why am I going to use games? What are the benefits of me using those games within games? Do my players understand the benefit? I think that's probably one of the biggest learnings for me over the last couple of years of my coaching. It's just really being clear with the players and helping them understand the rationale behind why we're doing what we're doing and the place it has in their development. And, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised by how well that allows them, allows me rather to get the buy-in from them around anything that we do. So that's probably, you know, my, my part of message more than anything else. But I know we've got Byron who's uh, put his hand up to speak as well. So good evening, Byron. How are you, man? Connecting. I'm not sure if he's nice to. He's still connecting. I'm not sure if he's if it's just my side that's seeing that, Jared. No, I do too. He's just connecting, so. It's no probs. Well, just why Byron's connected, I think you great point to bring it back. You know, just a topic. I think it's it's one that's quite powerful, really. Like, how can we become even more skillful in just thinking about games that we can create within the game that's going to support the player? You know, that's where my head was going, and I know yours was too. And you know, something I was thinking about earlier was even like competition. Um, I'll share that example after Byron. How's it going? If you you just on mute, Byron. Hey, Byron. If you click on that uh, voice icon, it should unmute you. Well, just while Byron's figuring, figuring that out, hopefully get you in, love to hear from you. Um, something I was thinking about before was we, we gave examples that you could do it across every age, but I was thinking of the, the individualised approach to games within games. It could almost be even, for example, could you do something where it's a deduct a goal off their tally? So, you know, if we want to reward the, the behaviour of defenders, it could be that if the defending team goes... X number of minutes without conceding a goal, that gives them a point. But if they win the ball back and, to Tony's point, scoring the counter goals, the goals on the outside, not only does that get them a point, but it, it could also deduct a, uh, a point from the opposition's tally. So, for example, when the team are winning 3-0, it now becomes 2-1. And then if we go two minutes without conceding, it now becomes 2-2. 
So it's just another way of creating a little game um, within the game and just incentivizing competition and, and giving a little bit of motivation. So I just thought I'd share that, you know, just for ideas. I, I think with these type of things, just being playful with it, I think is a, a huge advantage. Oh, Paul, good evening. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. Can you hear Hello, me? Hello, how's it going? Yeah, fine. Yeah, good. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm listening to the discussion, really. I like the I like the theme, game, games within a game. And um, just m making me think, really, is that not what it should always be, uh, the game within the game, so that the players know that the whole game is outwitting their opponents in whatever interaction it is, whether it be 1v1, 2v1, 2v2, whatever. It's, it's, whether it be 11v11, should their mindset not be to do that? And are, are we not then guiding them in, in the ways to so they understand their strengths and how do they use them against their opponent? So they're just in every situation, that's, that's the whole fun of the game, really. No, 100%. I mean, how have you done it? Have you got some examples... Probably outside of some of the ones we've done, where you know you've done it at United or or wherever, you know, in the roles you've had. I think that was the essence of what you're trying to do all the time. You're trying to find ways to sort of uh, simplify it. But one of the things that was interesting use use the word flow. So I've tried to use that recently as um, to sort of encapsulate it all, whether it be the team or or, or whatever. You're trying to make the ball flow up the pitch. To, to make it flow in their goal. But the opposition are trying to stop that flow and trying to disrupt it and win it back, aren't they? So, in the most simple way, how do you do that? That's that's the sort of emphasis I would be trying to say to the players, how, how are you going to do it? Um, and be starting with the most basic. I've just been watching here on the TV, Willian, and he's stopped the ball completely dead and then he's done a sidestep and out the other way. So he's just beat the guy with a change of speed and a change of direction. So if they all have that in the locker, they, you know, they're doing all right. So I, I, I'll try and get all those little things. And if the guy chases him, he can get a change of flow against the guy and go against his flow. So he goes out the opposite way. And he might have to put his body in the way. So that's sort of blocking the opponent's flow to the ball, path to the ball. I'm trying to make it sort of uh, simple, but I heard you talking about it before, the flow. I think that's really, really important. So I know it might sound really basic, what I'm saying, but the, the kids then or the players, you know, what, how, what's their, how are they going to beat their opponents? You know, how, that's the game within the game, isn't it? No, I think it's a great point, Paul. And I think, you know, we, you know we've spoken recently about this idea of flow. And I think, you know, it's great hearing what you've just said there because I think fundamentally what we're looking at is how well do the players recognise what allows the opposition and even themselves, whether consistently or differentiation around it, what allows them to flow. Yeah. And not what, what get you know, what gets... It's not just a universal thing, but what... No, what no you if you're not careful, there's everything going on, isn't there? So the best coach is then able to educate their attention. So I remember clearly years ago, Eric Harrison would be... He, he was doing a line ball, defending, well, basically defending to counter-attack. And he gave all the players, the different players, a little challenge or a little uh, target. So it was uh, 
it was the, the, the say the strikers. How many times could they force the force to play one way, or how many times could they back tackle? And then it was the midfield players or defenders. How many times could they intercept? Um, how how many times could they back tackle in midfield? You know those sort of things. Then I think that's then the little you're attuning their attention to that game within the game. But he's still doing it by by gaining advantage in flow. You know uh, he's attuned their attention. So I think sometimes it's it's just little details like that that you you can you could give them a little target, um, and that's the game within the game, isn't it? He's marking the guy, but he's cutting off the space, so he's trying to make an interception. He might even use deception there and look as though he's not interested, or he's he's going to mark the man and then nip across and, and back and win it, or he might go and back tackle and, and double up on the on the on the forward that type of thing. Um, so it's yeah, I think it's uh, it's a really good really good topic, but uh, yeah, I was interested in the way you said flow because it's I'm trying to sort of encapsulate okay in this situation how's he how's he gained advantage in flow there. And I, I think the beauty of that as well is if you know if you look at it in, in, in its kind of wider context that flow piece is when they are you know when it's just smooth right it's not it's not, they're not they're not they're not going out of their way to do anything they're not. They're not doing it out of boredom. It's just it's they're enjoying it. So it's that freedom piece, and it, it, it brings it back to something that I work on with a lot of players a lot. It'd be interesting to get you know some of your views on this, and even Gerard and Tony as well. Often when I'm working with players, I'm actually chan- asking them to challenge, channel in and tune into well, how does it actually feel actually performing this movement, this action, or even that decision. You know that does it does it feel right to you? Because I think that piece is really key. And I don't I don't know I don't think. There's often enough conversation or engagement with coaches around. Well, how does it make your players feel physically, mentally, emotionally when they're performing certain actions and decisions? Yeah, I think I think we've definitely got to get to the player's eye view. You know, a lot of the time we're looking from the camera view, from the tactic view. So, can we get right down? It's been interesting these games on from America because they've had uh, cameras on the shirts. And you get the speed of it, and the, you know it's 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 not it's not a, it's a moving picture that's not so easy as looking from the tactics board. So I think that the more coaches can get into that, and I think in that sense the flow idea helps me a little bit. I say, well, how do I get that ball to flow through that gap? It's got to be hit quick. Um, or how do I how do I uh, get to the ball first without the defender getting there? Well, I've got to block his flow to the ball. I've got I've got to step across him, step in front of him. Um, so in each situation, you, you've got an answer to, to everything, really. What what could they do? Um, yeah, I'm just watching them building up Chelsea here, and he's had to shield the ball because they're playing right out from the back. Centre forward's just done it now, but he's lost the ball because he's arrived. He's he's allowed the defender to arrive at the same time as him. So the flow when he nudges him means he's unbalanced. So there's all little things like that. Just watching the game now as it's on. Uh, but it's really, really good conversation, yeah. I love it. I love what you've shared because just for me, that I love the words around disguise and deception. I was just thinking about that there of, you know, what great key qualities of a player and how you can design little challenges to just encourage the hiding, you know, hiding and seeking, play with disguise. How can you trick the opponent? What can you do that's unorthodox? Because these are qualities that we need, aren't they, Paul? You know, to just yeah. give all that, that creativity. I, I think 
what it's leading you to think about is, of course, look, we've all used a range of, of practices from, you know, from passing drills to, to simple techniques to all the way through. But if you're going to gain advantage, you know, to outwit your opponent, then you have to be looking at your opponent. So, you know, that's where the learning to intercept, you start to lean, look at their eyes, start to look at the body language, start, and now you might intercept, but then the best players will see you intercepting and maybe reverse the pass and, and, and bring in disguise. Now, these are the things I think we need to bring to the attention of the players. That's where I'd be coming in if someone was doing pretty well, um, but then playing every pass obvious, straightforward. I think there's a lot of straightforward play because they try and do the right thing and they don't want to lose the ball. Now, the best players, and they, often they, they, because of the flow, they say, well, don't lose it. Don't lose the ball, keep it. But a lot of the time, you need to bring the opponent close to you. So he's coming quick at you, and you just play it round into the front man and maybe get a one-two. So you've enticed him in quick. So that's you can't get that opposite flow if you play the ball when he's five yards away. So again, that's I'm just saying what's the game within the game. Well, these are the little tips you've got to be prepared to give the players, you know, and to allow them to do it. It's like Tony said before, you can't pull up every mistake. He's got to get it wrong 10 times, maybe five times, and you've got to let that go. But at the same time, you might in the little break, you might say, well, you know, what is it? Why, why, do you, why are you not getting the one-two? And he's got to figure it out. You've got to get the principle over. that You've got to get the man closer to you. So he commits himself before you play it. You know, all those sort of things. I think that's all within this topic of the game within the game and how do you coach it. And like Tony said, you can't you can't stop it all the time. So slowly you're trying to get that principle over. And in the end, they'll tell you why they didn't do it. Because they've got the principle of it, the or they've got the the model in the head. Hello. No, I think you spot on there, Terry. Because I just my mind was going there, even with something you said earlier about educating their attention or guiding their attention. I was just thinking, you know, it's so important as coaches, like the feedback we give or the 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 the, the information we share, what we're saying. So, how many times have I seen coaches, and even I've been guilty of this, where I'm saying like, keep the ball, keep the ball. But then, if anything, I could have a negative to the point you just make it. But we're so focused on that. But then the player actually turns down that opportunity just to play him through and play into that, play with disguise into somebody. So it's a good one, really, because it's how we guiding players to look for those moments when they can see that opportunity to, to, to break a line, do something unorthodox, play a pass that no one would expect and get in behind. But then it comes from the, you know, what are we saying? What's the information that's coming out of our mouth to guide players to look for that information within the within the game? Do you know what I mean? Because if we're saying keep the ball, keep the ball, or, you know, whatever it is, or even certain challenges we might do, it could have a negative effect where it constrains players to just keep that ball instead of looking for that. So, no, that's where my head's going anyway, which is pretty cool. Yes, hello. Constant to hear. Yeah, I don't know whether it's my gadget it. that's uh, messing me up. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Yep. We, can hear you. we can hear you. Go for it. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go for it. 
Yes, so me, what 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 uh, would come to my mind is basically uh, we're looking at uh, creating games within games. I know it's uh, we, we've had quite a lot that has been discussed here, and yeah, something that's really so informative and uh, gives a lot of guidance on how how we can be able to pass it on pitch. But it also comes to basically the coach coming out and. Uh, looking at the positives, looking at the strength of the players. Because as you're, as you're trying to have a game, let's say you're having a, a 9v9 or, or any, other, any other numbers that you're looking at, you're going to look at those moments where you want to pull the strength out of all those players so that they can be able to replicate it and give them that confidence, if at all they are to, to go and have, have it uh, replicated in the match. So it's something which, uh, which basically comes in and given, given that uh, the, the coach has the set sessions, it's always uh, something which I look at, uh, looking at the strength of the players. So on, on the other hand, uh, you're going to look at what exactly you want to, to air out, what exactly you want the, the focus to be on so that you see how you can be able to drive that. Because as a coach, one thing is you're going to be able to, to know where the strength of each of the players is or how your group can be able to function as a unit. That as they function as a unit, they are going to be able to give you the direction on how they, they, are, they are going to be able to play given any, any engagement that comes upon them. So the, there is quite a lot that can be put in place, and there is quite a lot that can be able to to be aired out by those players through 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 get, getting the games in and getting them to work on their positives, which can always be the forefront of each and everything they do. Uh, maybe I'm going to be sharing on that. Uh, looks like my gadget is uh, getting on and off. No, perfect. Thanks for sharing. You know, and, and again, it's just another importance around just our purposeful and intentional around what we're designing for the players and how we can link it back to their needs, who's in front of us. So I think this has been really good, you know, really awesome conversations. And I'm sure, to, you know, you'll agree, Yaz, uh, you know, massive thank you to, to everyone, you know, who's been engaging in the chat and continuing. And again, it, the conversation can go beyond this. You know, if there's anyone who wants to share anything, on Twitter afterwards, you know, in a comment, share ideas, you know, that's what it's here for. We're, we're really excited about this sort of community of coaches and just exchanging ideas. So a massive thank you to, to everyone who's engaged tonight. Um, and again, you know, just a quick update that we'll be doing more of these every week. Uh, we're really excited that we're going to be uh, sharing some FA CPD Twitter spaces through Middlesex FA throughout the month of August. Well, we've got August going into September and beyond. Um, I'm going to put something in the in the chat now. And this is linking up to a, an upcoming webinar around developing a game model, which will be September 19th that people can register for. And there's going to be a host of Twitter spaces from August 27th, where it's, you know, why do I need a game model right into September, where we're looking at uh, how this influences our players and, and how you can develop this to, influence your practice design so 
you know, there's going to be a load of events that we're sharing with people. We're really excited. You know, we want to keep this conversation going because it's the small layers to coaching, you know, that we can unravel. So, you know, massive thank you. Tony, I see your hand up. And Yaz, if you've got anything to add. Yeah, Gerard, it's not for me, actually. It's just a quick one because you've got uh, Mark S is down there as a speaker. And I noticed he's, he's from a different sport. I just wondered if he had something... Um, that you wanted to add that came from a different sport that might throw a bit of light on the subject for everyone? Well, that'd be awesome. Yeah, Mark, if you want to come in, feel free. It'd be awesome to, to get your voice. Let's do it. Thanks, Tony. Evening, everyone. I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, no, you're perfect. Good evening and, you know, great to hear your thoughts. Yeah, obviously, I just... Uh... Just jumped on the, the spaces here. It's the first time listening to you guys and first time speaking on one of these. So excuse the nervousness that might come across. But yeah, my I'm uh, obviously a lot of what I'm hearing from from some very knowledgeable people is is very transferable to my sport of ice hockey. And uh, I think for the most part, what I what I see and what I've kind of taken from the the CPD that I've done as I've got older and as I've engaged with practices of players of all ages and abilities, they constantly find ways to question you as a coach. And I think we're at our best as a, as a practitioner when we kind of and see that, okay, well, we might bring to the table an idea of what a skill might look like, um, what an episode in a game might look like, what our, you know, to be on topic what a game within a game might look like, but those are the players and those are the guys that are going to kind of solve the problems that we're posing them. And I think to Tony's point a little while ago, the fact that, you know, sometimes being quiet and not blowing a whistle or not pausing a practice or to empower the players more, to give them the chance to pause, stop, bring back, which I think was, was one of the points that you were both making earlier, Yaz and, and Gerard. That's really powerful and that really allows, in my experience, the players to take a dive into what they know and what they don't know. And then we can support them through that kind of learning journey. And it might not be that we have the answers. It might just be that we orchestrate a new situation for them to go and explore a different set of parameters within that kind of perception, action, coupling. And they solve the problem and we come away learning as a group, right? And I think... That that to me, from from my side of things, especially in in my sport, you've got five on five, and we can constantly change. You're constantly finding yourself up against different people, different players, different abilities, different speeds, um, different uh, sets of principles and patterns that you play against. And for us to be able to orchestrate their response and guide their knowledge is a, is a really powerful place to be. Mark, I want to say, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's, it's a great point that you made there. Um, and something that you touched on there as well, it's about, it's about are we actually educating players on certain patterns or routines within the game? Or is, it, is that just the game? And I think that's the key piece, right? I think when you're talking about taking that, taking that step back and that perception, action, coupling piece, we don't have to make these games up within the game because of an agenda that we might have. These are just things that happen in the game. So, you know, it's really interesting to hear what you said there. And it takes me back to even when I'm working with players, the first thing I ask them when I intervene 
99 times out of 100 is what did you notice what have you noticed have and and it's, and, I, and I'm very careful with the way I ask that question as well because young players in particular and just players in general are very reluctant to answer that question in the first instance because they think I'm trying to catch them out so it's about really reassuring them look I'm not trying to catch you out I'm not trying to catch you in I'm not trying to do anything other than just find out what you think and what you've what you've observed and what you know because then that allows me to then share with you some of my ideas and my thoughts and I think it's really important to come from a perspective of like these aren't my ideas necessarily this is just what the game is showing me and I want to know if you see the game in the same way so I think that piece that you've talked about there I think it's brilliant because I think it just allows the players to just like I said explore um but and I, and I say but because there is some things that we want the players to pick up on and I think the key is if they're not identifying the problems it doesn't really matter what solutions they have because fundamentally they're not going to be able to apply them until they recognise what the problem is that they're trying to fix so I think it's better to ask them that piece around what they notice, what have they seen what have they observed and so they can become better attuned around what influences their ability to perform and, and you know enact any particular techniques or method methods around how they can solve particular problems gone on a bit of a ramble there but just hopefully that makes a little bit of sense yeah, if, uh, if you don't mind me come back, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's that. I think that's where the, you know, for want of a kind of cheesy phrase, if you like, that's where the magic happens, right? I think sometimes when you can give players a problem to solve, if they can't find that problem, I think then, uh, as coaches, that's for us to kind of go, okay, well, you know, have I set the right parameters for them? Have I, you know, afforded them the right chances within the game within the game let's talk about it you know let's make it relative to the conversation tonight you know mm. have I afforded them the right chances to explore the problems that I want them to explore but the, or is my or is my practice wrong right and I think well, that's the mark, isn't it because I think you're not you're not giving them a problem to solve in my opinion I think what you're really doing is you're getting them to understand that this is the game that this is a problem that the game provides. Yeah. It's not something that we've created as coaches. This is not our problem, if that makes sense. And I think that piece is really, really important. Because uh -huh. for me, if players understand that, it's not, oh, well, Mark's just told me this because of this, or Yas has told me this because... No. The game is actually telling you this is a problem that you're going to face. It's up to you based on your own individual abilities and characteristics and perception whether you agree that this is a problem for you but fundamentally this is as you put it an episode of the game and i think that's the best way to look at it it's an episode in the game but are you going to find this a challenge or are you going to find this a chore I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, no, I've just, I'd just like to say, I, I don't know how long you're running on for, but I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, thank you guys for letting me chime in. Um, if this is a weekly thing, I'll, I'll be, I'll be picking these up going forwards. Uh, just, you know, to, to listen to the knowledge imparted by some of you guys is, is brilliant. So, uh, yeah, just kind of thanks. And I'll, uh, I'll go back on mute. No, no thanks worries. for sharing. Thanks Most... for sharing. I mean, go on, Gerard, go on. No, it's just, it's good to get everyone in, isn't it? I mean, the, the interactions have been good today. And, 
you know, I, I know you got on mute, but if there is anything that you've done as an example in hockey that you think is, you know, transferable into football, you know, that would that would be really interesting, I think, for people to hear, whether it's today or next time. I mean, these are going to be every week, so, you know, we love it. But I don't know if there is anything, Mark, that you've got, you know, that springs to mind that you think, because obviously both sports are, are an invasion sport, both sports uh, unpredictable. I think in hockey, there's probably more constraints just because of certain rules. And it's almost, is that an opportunity where, you know, it's how do you introduce those sort of challenges that can amplify certain things in, in football? You know, what do you think is trans- transferable? Um, I think a lot of it is around how we stress our players in a practice moment. Um, to use the term I used a minute ago, you know, those, those kind of episodes that you may know, and, you know, to be honest, on a weekend or a weeknight, whenever we're playing, the players know what they're coming up against first and foremost. Oh, sorry, Mark. You're on mute. Sorry, mate. Sorry, did did any of that come off, or did I mute all of that? No, just the last bit. Just the last two seconds. Um, yeah, I think for the most part, like players realise what they're going to face on the weekend. So typically for us, we'd normally play like in in ice hockey. You'd normally play two games a weekend, and it's normally two different teams. So you're setting up, you know, kind of in your in your monthly cycles to play potentially. Six different teams, um, which is quite challenging. But the players and, and yourselves, you do your background research, you watch the game tape, you you know you know what you're coming up against. And I think about what we try and do in our practices is kind of overload the stresses in a practice so that it's, in inverted commas again, not as stressful in the game. So we might go to a 3v5 or a 3v4 rather than a traditional three-on-two. Because I trust the players and the players trust themselves to be able to manage a three-on-two moment. If we can manage a three-on-five, if that's rarely going to come up on a game night, if I can stress them that way in a practice and those moments are harder for them to deal with, but we get the joy of the time of talking through what happens, what did you see, how can I help? You know, who do you think would be better around you? You know, do we need to manipulate line mates, um, player combinations, things like that? That's what I try and bring to the table and the, and the coaching staff that I try and work with. I try and collaborate with like-minded coaches that are prepared to overload and overstress, if you like, for want of a better term, in practice to essentially make the game mode you know, in inverted commas, easier. You're never going to, you know, I think everybody understands that you're never going to completely stress players on a practice as you would in a game. But there are ways and means that you can do it to allow them to kind of take a breath on a game night and go, OK, I'm prepared for this. And then obviously, if they're not, then that's where we get a chance to step in. Obviously, hockey's different because they'll be on for 45 to 60 seconds and then I get some contact time with them or the assistant coaches get contact time with them or defences or offensive coaches or the goalie coaches, you know, we get that kind of one minute in three 
to kind of interact with the players if they want it. Um, and I think that's obviously where the sport kind of is very different. But the practice, yeah, like you said, it's an invasion game that, you know, we're trying to keep possession more than the other team. Um, that's what our sport is is moving to a lot more now. And football's been there for a little while. Um, you know, if you don't have the puck, you can't score. So that's something that the sport is kind of moving to now. Um, but yeah, like a lot of similarities. And like I said, I've, I've listened to what you guys have, have put forward this evening. And a lot of it is kind of, I can substitute the football for hockey. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really nice to hear, obviously, some very experienced, knowledgeable people on, on, on the space talk um, and be able to transfer that across. So, yeah, like I said, like, appreciate everything that, that you guys have said and the time you've taken to run this tonight. No, thank you, mate. I think it's good. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to echo echo what you've just said there, Gerard. You know, first of all, thank you, Mark, for obviously joining in. And yeah, just to give you a heads up, we are here every week um, on this space, or pretty much every week anyway. Um, so, yeah, no, really appreciate your thoughts. And obviously, you know, I think it's always good for us to share ideas and share views across sports as well. I think you know, just to see how things transfer. I think fundamentally... I think we should also we should all work more towards creating more games within games, but also understanding for helping the players understand why they're playing those games in the first place. Um, so yeah, Gerard, over to you, man. No, I love it. I think there's been loads of stuff shared, like loads of good comments shared, and I think you know it'd be great, Mark. You know, to connect after, it's always good uh, to share ideas across sports. I'd love to do that and talk to you further and anyone really, anyone who's interested, you know, because. This is what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, I think the transferability is definitely there. You know, it's how we're setting challenges for people. And it's interesting you talk about, like, the overload. I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, one thing I'd throw out there to think about is, you know, is it an overload? Are we, we often, in football, and I'm sure it's the same in hockey, coaches all design sessions where it's like, hey, we're creating and exploiting the overload. Uh, but then I would always challenge the coach and go, but they're not creating the overload. Because you know, to Yaz's point about the problem being like the game, the the game gives problems to the players. The information's in the environment. Are we creating the overload? Or are we exploiting the overload? Because the overload already exists, so they're not creating anything. So it could almost be well, actually. And I'm not to say that that means you only do equal numbered, because you can, or you could go one step further. You could go underloaded, but then how does that challenge players then to have to think about how they're creating an an, an overload? against certain opposition so they've got to have to move but if the overload already exists they're not creating anything because it already exists whereas if that was a regular game that overload might not exist in that particular area of the field there's certain things you can manufacture even during a regular game but because the game is so unpredictable dynamic forever changing you know you can't really keep it a constant so I just think that's just another thing I was thinking about based on what you said there which is you know, how do we develop coaches to to really think purposely about their practice design and how they're creating these games within games and just a language piece as well. Sorry, as I see your hand up. This is good. Yeah, I was just going to touch in on what you guys have talked about there in terms of overload. I think even if you, you know, go down the route of actually what we're working on is exploiting the overload as opposed to developing the overload, it's having the insight to know well, how long does that overload exist in that fashion when you get to the game day. You know, the typical overload, it, I mean, typical overload, typical transition takes about nine seconds in a game. 
So within that, it, it, how 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 often do you cap that overload episode as you know to coin Mark's phrase? How often do you you know you cap that episode for nine seconds and you say right you've got nine seconds to get your success here, and if you don't get it, we we'll restart. And just literally, you know, timing it and aligning it to what the game is going to present for them. This is what the game, you know, how much how much insight have you got on what the game, you know, does give your players as a, as a challenge, um, or the you know what what the, what episodes does the game provide for you as part of you know as part of the game itself? Are these episodes that your players have already have already have enough experience of and they're ready for the next stage and? And they, you know, you maybe need to fine in, fine tune the the detail within it and the the considerations for them as a group, as a as a as a pair or as individuals or however you wish to look at it. I think there's so much you can look at within that, right? Um, go on, Tone. You got your hand up as well. Yeah, just off the back of that, actually, um, we, we talk about the 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 time period. Uh, a couple of examples that that I've used, which uh, one of them will almost certainly spring out from pretty much everybody else is the the Barcelona six second thing. If you don't win possession back in six seconds, then what are you going to do? Um, so we used to have this thing where on a restart, for example, or, or if you've given the ball away, you had six seconds to win the ball back. If you didn't win it, and, and, and me as the coach, I would just count down from six to one. Um, um and if they didn't get the ball back, then we just restart somewhere else. Or, you know, if, if you don't win the ball back in six seconds, then you stop chasing it and you drop back into whatever formation or shape uh, that you're playing in. Um, and another one, which, again, I took from another sport, actually. Um, I think it was hockey where they have the... If they get a penalty in, in uh, one of the penalty shootout things, they've got eight seconds to score where... A player goes one on one with a goalkeeper, so we had a thing where if you won the ball back in the in the uh, in the final third in the attacking third, again eight seconds to score, and I would count down from eight down to one. If we haven't scored, then we just turn the ball over, or or, or you know you find a, a, a different restart that that fits. It was just off the back of obviously Mark's little pointer there because um, I know they have a similar. Um, thing in, in in ice hockey, certainly in field hockey, uh, I'd seen it, and and then the Barcelona thing obviously uh, cropped up. I love that Tony. I was just, I absolutely love it. I was even thinking just with the penalty. Do you remember? Um, do you remember the old MLS years ago where it used to be that to, to do a PK. They used to run with the ball, didn't they? They had like a time constraint. They had to score within a certain number of seconds. And it would be a one-on-one. They'd be running with it to, to have a shot. And it's like, wow, I wish they did that more often, to be fair. Like, brought it back. I don't know if you remember it, but I just think, like, these are all clever ways, aren't they? Or even like a time constraint to get a shot off on goal or uh, whatever it may be. So even to your point even earlier, Yaz, like how are we creating the session to be even more representative of what their game looks like? So, as you were talking about transitions, is it that we're designing these episodes around these particular moments? So, if you win the ball in this area, you typically got this many seconds to get a shot on goal or regain, like Tony said. I love that because, again, it's just more targets for the players, isn't it? But it's making it more real to their game. So, these are brilliant. 
I think that basketball's great for that because basketball's got the 24 second shot clock um and that you know they restart the time if if the other team get decent contact on the ball I also the, the other one that I like in uh, from from basketball uh, which I use with um my strikers quite a lot inside the box is the 3 second rule if you stood there for three seconds and you haven't got the ball, then you better get out. And because a lot of kids these days play basketball at school, um, it's a it's a real simple thing for them to understand. And if you can build in some rotation uh, with your forward players based around a three second rule, it it keeps them on the toes, it keeps them moving, it makes them really difficult to mark in the box. I love it. I think these points are class. Loads of rich ideas. It's a you know massive thank you to everyone. I think we could end up talking for hours there, couldn't we? Keeping the conversation going, which is good. You know, it's a really, really good topic. There's anything from you, Yad, from me, just keep engaging with what we're doing. Uh, we've got a couple of events as we posted coming up with the Twitter spaces that will be accredited. So any coach who's with the English FA and wants to revalidate their FA licence, they can get some CBD points there. We did one the last couple of months. We've had over 1,500 people engage in the spaces and and more obviously gain some accredited CBD. And even if you're not in football or you're in other countries or in other sports, you know, it's just a great opportunity just to, to get some more ideas and share ideas. So, you know, massive thank you to everyone. Keep on the lookout for some of the stuff. And, you know, from me, have a great rest of the weekend. Anything from you, Yaz, as we close it out? Yeah, just to echo what you said there, you know, it's been really, really positive tonight with all the interaction, all the engagement from everyone. So really much appreciated, if, you know, everyone's insights on that. So Tony, Paul, Mark, Byron as well. I really appreciate your, th- uh, your thoughts and your insights tonight. And then... um yeah, just to echo what Gerard said on the on the engagement piece, just you know, continue following us. We are here every week, every Sunday for those of you that are new listeners to us tonight. It's great to see some new people in the room. Hope you've enjoyed the conversation and don't be don't be afraid to get involved in the future, whether that's um by dropping us a DM or actually putting your hand up and get involved in the conversation directly. And if you haven't had a chance to catch the conversation from the beginning, you can play it back or alternatively you can listen to it on the Coaches Network podcast where it'll be released on Wednesday morning. Um, and that's pretty much it from me, Joe. But guys, just make sure you're following us, keep engaging with us, and we hope to see you next week. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.